All right, just want to say thanks to Rick for the incredible message last week. It really was, if you haven't listened to it, you ought to go listen, listen to it. Because it was really, really, uh, actually one of the best messages I've ever heard. Not only the teaching part of it, but the application and the, the emotion in it, the testimony in it, the heartfelt response uh, to what God was doing in his story. <clears throat> now we're going to, we may be out. 15 minutes if y'all listen fast. I always say that and it never happens, does it? Uh, it the Apostle Paul, in almost every occasion in his letters, has a greeting when he greets the saints and so-and-so and whatever city or town or community he was writing to. So he sends greetings. In 2 Corinthians 14, uh, 13, verse, well, the whole chapter of 14, in the, in the beginning of 2 Corinthians 1, he talks about and says, grace and peace to you. And that's a common uh, introduction, a common beginning to his letters, uh, something along those lines. He always talked about grace and peace, seems like. He always blessed them with that. Then at the end of his letters, which uh, 2 Corinthians 14, 13 is, uh, 13, 14 is, he says something that he doesn't say in any other place. Now, he says it in various ways, but he puts these things together in his uh, ending of the book. It's a blessing, really. And this is what he says. He said, the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God, and the fellowship or communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now, if I had a uh, benediction to give to almost anyone I can think of, including my own family, my loved ones, you, whether they know the Lord or not, I would wish this. This is what I would wish for you. I would wish this for everyone. And I can't think of anything that is not included in that. Really. Your understanding of those three things, yes, but the reality of those three things operating in your life has a guarantee to change your life and to continue to empower your life. To help you in your decision making, in the way you relate to God, in the way you relate to one another, in the way you relate to the world. It has a tremendous impact on us all. It has me, and it has or will you. So, the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God, and the fellowship, communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I'm through, essentially. <laughs> Um, so let's start with the first one let's talk about I'm going to switch one of them around let's talk about the love of God uh, have y'all ever heard me talk about that before <laughs> of course we talk about it all the time let me read you just a couple of scriptures and then we'll jump in look in 1 John 
chapter 3, verse 1. It says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God, and such we are. For such we are. See how great a love the Father has for us, has bestowed upon us and given to us in this way, that he considers us to be his children. Think about what great love allows God to do that, motivates God to do that. Then in chapter 4, 8 and 9, it says, The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God is manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Let us love one another. Verse 7, for the love is from God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. There's a whole lot about love in there and God's love isn't there. Look in verse 16. And we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God. He who abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. God loves you. God loves you. A familiar verse to you, John 3.16, says this. It says... For God so loved the world. Right? When did he start loving the world? From the very beginning. That's when he started. He loves the world. Now, I know he's not talking about the world system. He's not talking about the planet, even. He's not talking about the cosmos or the universe. I think he probably does love that. It's a beautiful planet. It's the most gorgeous planet, you know, in our, as far as human beings have dis, uh, discovered. It's gorgeous, life-giving, beautiful, wonderful. It's, all, it's like a Garden of Eden in the midst of desert everywhere else. Beautiful planet. That's not what he's talking about. I know that because it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever, he's talking about people, a world of people, world of people past in the Old Testament too, prior to the Old Testament, all the way back to the Garden of Eden and the creation of man, all of that, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He's talking about human beings. Now, God so loved that he gave. But let me tell you something. God loved before he gave. He loved before he gave. Matter of fact, he gave because he loved. Love was the motivation for his giving. And obviously he gave everything he had. Everything that was meaningful to him, he gave. For you and me. And the rest of us. He's loved us always. Always. Um, Jesus didn't come to reveal, or really, he did come to reveal, 
He didn't come to enable us. Uh, he didn't come to enable God to love us. That's what a lot of people teach. Jesus came, paid the price, extinguished God's great wrath and anger on his own human body and all this kind of stuff that's the punitive atonement. But that's not true. God loved before he gave. Jesus didn't come to enable God to love us. He came to reveal the fact that God is love and he's always loved us. He's always loved us. God is love. His love is uh, always been there. And you know it's agape love, that's the term translated as unconditional love. Do you think God loves you more one day than he does the next based upon how you act? No. His love was, is, and forever will be absolutely and totally unconditional. We, do, we don't know about that really not to any depth in a, in a human realm. We don't know that, really. We don't know, really, what it would be like to totally have a love that has no conditions on it whatsoever. It's unconditional. I, I've thought about this many times. Uh, the closest thing you can get to that, I think, is, you know, a parent, child parent, grandchild, parent, man, woman, wife, husband, the closest of family units that you can have on, on earth, there's still an element in our hearts of, of conditional love. Some certainly affects the way we feel about someone, doesn't it? I think so. It's hard to imagine, really, or conceptualize the fact that God's love is absolutely and totally unconditional. He loves because he is love. That's all he can do, is love, because he is love. That is what he is, is love. Love motivated and has motivated Everything that God has done, everything that he ever will do, is motivated by love. <clears throat> so God is love. Important for you to remember that God loves you. Always. It'll change your life. And it's really, really hard to believe. <laughs> it, it, it's pretty hard to believe. We're not commanded to love God. You say, well, what about Matthew 22? Where it expressly says, the summing up of the, of the law is to love God with all your what, heart, mind, soul, strength, 
So there's a commandment to love God with all your heart, soul, strength. That is the greatest commandment of all under the law. That's a law statement. It's not a new covenant statement. They were commanded to love God with all those things. Without the knowledge that he loved them, really. It's you doing it. Now, I'm, I'm telling you, if you set the course of your life to achieve perfection in your love of God, you are going to be frustrated, you're going to be angry, or defeated, or depressed, or always with a sense that you never measure up. It's an impossible standard that the law set, like all the other impossible standards that the law set. It's an old covenant concept. Jesus was under the law when he said it. So, don't try that. Now listen to me. We love God. Here's the new covenant answer to that. The new covenant command. We love God because he first loved us. That's why we love God. And that's how we can love God because we know he first loves us. So set your sights. Set your heart. Set your life on a course. To always receive his love unconditionally. We love him because he first loved us. And my statement has always been, if you really get to know God, you'll love him. Because to know him is to love him. That's what, I'll never forget the transition in my own thinking and heart and life when that switch was made. That I'm no longer trying to love him with my whole heart. I'm trying to receive his love for me with my whole heart. An absolutely different way of thinking. And it revolutionized my understanding of God and my own place in Him. I want to be like the Apostle John, where he saw Jesus as the, he saw himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He didn't love the rest of them, he loved me, see? <laughs> it's a sense that. <laughs> We are loved in a way that it's impossible almost to comprehend. And yet it's true. And the reality of it can be all of ours and should be all of ours. So don't try to get ahead by loving God with all your heart. Get ahead by, by receiving God's love with all your heart. You can never receive too much of the love of God. Just a couple of quick things about the fact that God loves us. It explains creation. It explains why self-existent, self-sufficient God created us as human beings in the first place. He wanted and desired to express his love. He's always been love. He always has been. Not since Jesus came, but before Jesus came, before, before anything. He, he, was, he was loved before he spoke the worlds into, into being. He was loved before he created Adam and Eve, before he spoke life into them. He was loved the whole time. You understand? So whatever, it, you must interpret everything through that lens. He always was loved. So build your life around that. He loves us. He wanted us. He wanted to share that with us. He wanted us to experience what he experiences as love. 
He brought us into his fellowship, into the realm of the Trinity, in the realm of his family. We are now apart. We are standing there with them. We, are, we can experience life like they do. That's what heaven's going to be like. That's another explanation for heaven. That reason he created heaven. I don't see heaven as a place anymore. I don't, I don't even see it that way. It's just being with him. It's being with them. It's being included in him and them and allowing me to experience everything that God experiences. Allows, it will allow me to do what God does, to experience what God experiences and to feel what he feels in the Trinity. We've been brought in. We're in union with him. And that's what heaven is. And it's going to be a whole lot better than streets of gold and stuff like that. I promise you that it will be, well, beyond our comprehension to be included in the Trinity. Uh, it explains free will. Unless love is a free response, then it's not love. If it's manipulated, if it's coerced, if it's commanded, if it's whatever, then it's not love. It explains why he gave us a free will. We have the will to choose, to respond or not, to receive or not. And he knows that when you do respond in love, it's genuine because you had the, you had the free will to reject it. And it explains redemption. If God was only law and justice, if that was his main motivation then he would have left us dead in our sins. And yet he didn't do that. He expressed his love by giving us an incomprehensible gift. An incomparable gift. Incomprehensible gift. In Jesus. It explains redemption. And because he's love, he responded to our helplessness, which the law points out to us, our helplessness, our hopelessness, our inability to do anything for ourselves. He responded with the greatest gift of love imaginable. That's how he responded to our helplessness. Uh, I remember early <laughs> in my uh, Life as a believer, when I was young, 19, 20, 20 years old, 21, uh, it wasn't long until I heard this, because there was a lot of eschatology and stuff going on in the early 70s, uh, that, you know, Tim LaHaye and all these books, and you know, the sizable pile of garbage that that is. Uh, he got rich, though. Dang, I should have thought of that. Uh, you remember, it, like they would talk about the great white throne judgment and all this judgment stuff, and the picture they'd paint of this is that when you die and appear before the white throne, great white throne judgment, it's going to be like, well, we can feature it now. I couldn't feature it back then, but there's going to be this gigantic screen I mean, everybody that's ever been born forever is going to be in attendance. 
And every thought you've ever had, every deed you've ever done, is going to be displayed publicly and in living color. Now, I'm already ashamed before I get there. I'm thinking, please don't do that. I'm not near as good as they think I am. <laughs> Ooh. Can you imagine the humiliation? The only thing that would help you is if you were there watching everybody else and see their stuff, and then your stuff might not be quite as bad in comparison. That's the only hope you've got. Because all of you just don't look that good if you tally it all up. You got some high points. You really do. And for that, we're proud of you. But oh my gosh, look at all the rest of this stuff, right? And we, we believed it, didn't we? That'll do something to you about looking forward to passing away. Love didn't do that. Love doesn't do that. What does love do? Love keeps no record of wrongs. Their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. That's one of the things I'm most grateful about. So, God is love. He cares about us. He loves us. All right, let's look at the grace of the Lord Jesus. Uh, many, many scriptures, I, I've read them to you in the past many times about the abundance of God's grace. Uh, in Romans, it says. And we beheld his glory, talking about God's glory. We beheld his glory, which was Jesus. The, the glory, glory as of the only begotten Son. We beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten Son. And he was full of grace. He's full of grace. And he's full of truth. Again, this has been repeated. Truth doesn't mean truth-telling. It means, really, things as they really are. Real. That word really means real or reality. It's a revelation of things as they really are, truly are. They are true. I saw in him truth. I saw in him things as they really are. And the way things really are is that God is full of grace. Jesus was full of grace. Full of it. You've you got to climb a pile of grace if God's full of it. That's a lot of grace because he's mighty big. He's filled with grace. He is love and he's full of grace. No exceptions. No exceptions. He is love and he's full of grace 
to every human being. All of them. All of them. That doesn't mean they know it. Doesn't mean that they've received it. Doesn't mean that at all. But it does mean it's there. He's not full of grace for me and, you know, lacking some grace for you. He's full of grace. That's who he is. The way he thinks. It's part and parcel of, of everything about him. He's full of grace. In Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 4, it says, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we're dead and our transgressions made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he was still rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, and he saved us by grace and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's already happened. In order that in the ages to come, look for the, the purpose, here's the purpose clause. In order that, in order that, he did this in order to do this. He did this in order for this to be accomplished. That's the, the henna clause, purpose clause. In order that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In the ages to come. In all of the ages to come, there will be revelation of his love and his grace. He can't wait to show you the reality of it all. Can't wait to show us. Jesus is full of grace. It's impossible to overstate it. That's what gets me frustrated in trying. Well, I shouldn't be frustrated about it, but it still does some. I mean, I, I know people, there are people all over the world who, who, who are where I was and just don't understand, haven't seen, haven't heard in some ways. And I shouldn't be frustrated. God will do it in his own time. But the accusations of, of us, me and people like me and our church and churches like ours, is that they preach the greasy grace, hyper grace, and that's very dangerous because you're letting people off the hook and you're letting them sin without telling them that they, you know, are going to go to hell or get punished or whatever, and that they're going to face the great white throne judgment, and all their sins are going to be displayed for the whole world to see. And by the way, you're also going to burn in hell forever. Whew. Greasy grace. Hyper grace. It's my opinion that you cannot overstate grace. You can't exaggerate grace. It's impossible. It's bigger than you can think or say. It's better than you can ever elucidate. You can't wrap your mind around the greatness of it. Never be exhausted. It's not diminished by being given away at all. It increases. So, His grace enables us to fully, fully receive what the Father desires to give, which is his love. Before you understood grace, you, you, you felt God loved you sometimes, didn't you? I mean, 
you, you thought it, but it was a little bit abstract sometimes, and on the surface it didn't look like it, and so forth. Like my friend Jack Taylor said one time, he was kind of complaining to God. He said, Lord, I'm, a, I'm, the, I'm surprised you have as many friends as you do from the way you treat the ones you've got. So he, <laughs> he was complaining to the Lord. But his love is constant. Good times, bad times, hard times, troubled times, as we talked about last time. It's constant, consistent, impossible to overstate it. Jesus didn't come to reconcile God to the world. What did he come to do? Reconcile the world to God. God was already reconciled to the world. People, human beings. So he didn't come to reconcile God to the world. He came to reconcile us to God. Listen, and... Jesus didn't come to change God's mind about me or you, us. He didn't come to change God's mind about us. That's the way a lot of people see it. God was angry. Jesus took care of that and the, the plan that they did, and now he's not angry at uh, most people. He's still angry at some, but not most. Or those of us who believe he's not angry at, but he's angry at everybody else. That's why when we say God is not angry, we get such a response from it. People don't like believing that God's not angry. They're angry. They want God to be angry. They want to punish people, so they want God to punish people. Other people. Other, other people. You other folks. So, he didn't come to reconcile God to the world, but the world to God. He didn't come to change God's mind about me. He came to change my mind about God. And boy, has he ever. Has he ever changed my opinion of God? He changed my mind about God. I, I don't know of anything better than that. Do you know how it feels? When I talk about this stuff and all the stuff concerning grace and everything else, I am absolutely confident every time that if people will begin to understand and appropriate and receive what I'm teaching them, it will change their life every time. Every time. I never felt that in any kind of mixture situation. I felt like I gave a lot of good advice. I, I, I felt like I did help them maybe temporarily. Maybe what I taught helped them for a while. But I never felt what I just said to you. That I know, I know if you'll give me some time and you'll be open and you'll give the Holy Spirit some room, what you're going to hear and understand at the end of this will change your life forever. That's how good it is. The grace of the Lord Jesus. 
And then the communion or communication of the Holy Spirit. This word, koinonia, is the Greek word, which we translate fellowship most of the time. The <clears throat> Here's the definition of koinonia, intimate spiritual communion. Intimate spiritual communion. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's present with us. He never leaves us. He's always here. He's always, I try not to think of it in terms of my body, more in my soul, in my spirit, that he's, he's there all the time, always teaching, comforting, encouraging, interceding. He's, he's there, empowering. He's all that. The Holy Spirit's all of that. Some people have a concept of the Trinity like this, that God, Father, Jesus, Son, Holy Spirit. God's the big guy. Jesus is like a brother who, you know, helps me with the big guy. When the big guy's not happy, he's interceding for me. You know, he's my advocate. He's all of this. He did, Jesus did some really good stuff just for me, and it's easy for me to love him. Big guy, not so much sometimes. I get a little afraid of him. What's your concept of God? Uh, he's scary. He's a little aloof. He's kind of standoffish sometimes. And it seems like he gets upset at a lot of stuff. And then the Holy Spirit will be like the mom, the nurturer, the comforter. The, the one who is always kind of in my corner, regardless of how bad I act. So I like the Holy Spirit, but he's so sensitive he's, that it's easy, you know, to offend him. But when I'm not offending him, I feel good about him because he, he really helps me and blesses me. That's people's concepts of the Trinity, I think. A lot may be exaggerated some, but generally speaking, that's probably about right. When the truth of the matter is, they're all alike. You understand that? They're one. They're one. They're all alike. Jesus doesn't love you more than the Father does. He proved that. Now, the Holy Spirit His ministry is a little harder to define. Jesus sent another one like him, he said. When I go, when I send, when I leave, I'll send another comforter. I'll send him to you. He will be in you and with you. The God in me, Christ in me, the presence of the Holy Spirit. So, I need to get to know him. So I've tried to, really have. You know, I talk to him all the time. Frequently. I, I want to operate in his gifts and I want to exhibit his fruit. Holy Spirit is what produces in us this love. Produces love. Love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. 
First, that's number one. First, love. It's in. It, I don't know what kind of order it's in, but it's named first. Love, joy, peace. What the Holy Spirit ministers as fruit. Love, joy, and peace. Love, joy, peace. Some of the others. Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. That's what he, that's what he does. He has a very important role in our lives. The fruit of the Spirit. And then the gifts of the Spirit. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, gifts of healings, operations of miracles, tongues, interpretation of tongues. All these different gifts, gifts of prophecy, discernment. All these things that are available to us as human beings and believers. In Ephesians 5, it says this, in 5.18, it says, Do not be drunk with wine, wherein is dissipation or excess. I don't think he says not to drink. Don't go around drunk all the time because you're worthless. However, he uses this don't be drunk with wine. It's connected with being filled with the Holy Spirit. Do not be drunk with wine, but rather be filled with the Holy Spirit. The same thing happened in the upper room. I mean, after the Spirit came in Acts chapter 2, they saw him doing all this stuff and the crowd thought they were drunk well, they weren't drunk they were having a good time in the Holy Spirit love joy Holy Spirit produces joy I think there's even, even a sense of giddiness every once in a while that the Holy Spirit has the capacity to produce in you which is wonderful and healing and blessing it blesses and heals for you to be happy and to be filled with joy and have a sense of the permanence of that. Love, joy, peace. Peace. Grace and peace go together all the time. That word, be filled with the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 5.18. That word, be filled, those words, or that concept, is a... Present, passive, plural, imperative. Present, passive, plural, imperative. Present tense in the Greek means continuous action. It's, it's action that continues. That tense is continuous. Which continue for the rest of your life to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's present tense, passive voice means I don't do it. I, I don't have the capacity to be filled with the Holy Spirit I have a capacity to receive the filling of the Holy Spirit he does it to me I receive so it's nothing I do it's what I receive that's true of all this stuff folks it's, <laughs> it's, it's your ability to receive that allows you to experience everything that Jesus died to give and God wants for us our ability to receive it's already there so, passive voice, not something I do. Present, passive, plural. All of you be filled with the Holy Spirit. All of you. Baptists too. All of you be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then, the imperative. Some people think imperatives are commands, and they are in some sense. 
they were strong suggestions for good reasons. I always thought a promise, uh, a, an imperative is a promise of God in seed form. That if you receive this seed, this will happen. It's an imperative. So it's imperative that all of us be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we can be big shots in the realm of the gifts of the Spirit? No. Be filled with the Holy Spirit so you can be filled with joy, peace, love, the fruit of the Spirit. You can operate in the gifts to help people. You can hear from God. God speaking. You can hear. The Holy Spirit will help you do that. It's imperative. So if you haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit, be filled. Just say, Holy Spirit, I receive your fullness. Top of my head to the crown of my, uh, to, the, to the soles of my feet, my whole body, my soul, the way I think, into my mind, into my spirit, into who I really am, I receive you fully. I have no resistance to you. Whatever you want to do in me, I want you to do. Whatever you say to me, I want to receive. Whatever you want to minister to me, I want you to minister. Whatever insights you have to give me, I want that. I want everything that you came to give me. I receive you as my teacher. Scripture says you will lead me into all the truth. Therefore, I receive you as my teacher. If you'll start doing that about the teaching part, he'll start teaching you. and You'll start learning. You'll start having some thoughts that you haven't had in the past. You'll have some revelation that you never had before. The Holy Spirit has to minister truth to you for it to be revelation. Okay? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. So, the love of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus, and the communion, deep, intimate communion, be with you all. Amen. Somebody come and play. We're done. You don't really need anything else. The love of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus, communion of the Holy Spirit. That's what he came to give. To receive it. Stand up, let me pray for you. Or you can sit down and I'll pray. I don't care. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your love, for your grace, and for your fellowship. We love you, Father, because you first loved us. That's what hooked us. The more we get to know you, Lord, the more we love you. The better you become in our eyes, the greater you become, the more inclusive you become thank you father we love you 
And we pray, Lord, that you'll enable us to walk in the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. You'll enable us, Lord, to share who we are and what we are with those that don't know. You'll give us divine appointments and bring us into places where others need to hear what we know. Thank you for the ministry of your spirit this morning to testify again that God is love and God is good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you.